Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hello, Car Wash Nation. Welcome. Listen to this episode of the How of Car Washing. This is David Begin. Hope everybody's having a great day out there. Today's episode's a little special. We're going to do it for vendors. I get uh, a lot of uh, notes and comments saying, hey, we're going to do a podcast for us. So for our vendor community, I've picked one that uh, Henry Lopez did over at the How of Business with an individual named Chris Caps, And we're going to talk about trade shows, how you can get the best uh, out of your trade show experience as a vendor. So even though you might be a car wash operator or owner, go ahead and listen in. It'll give you some ideas of maybe some of the effort that our vendors go through when they... Uh, go to a trade show. I think it's it's always good to kind of see from the other side. But uh, this particular podcast on the How of Business talks about how Chris can help your organization get the best and the most out of a trade show. And uh, uh, he's the chief operating officer of a company called Exhibits Hub. And Exhibit Hub has some cool technology out there to allow you to shop online and reserve cust- certified custom exhibits that are currently not being used by their owners. So it's kind of like the Uber or the Lyft of trade show exhibits. So it's kind of an interesting story. So we'll let uh, Henry and Chris take it from here. But thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Car Washing. And thanks for Henry and Chris for providing this particular podcast episode. My guest today is Chris Kappas. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Henry. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. This is a topic that we have not had at all on this show, and that's why I found it intriguing. And in doing the research, obviously, it's a great story and and excited to talk to you. But we're going to chat about Chris's entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today. And then he is an expert in the whole trade show world. So as small business owners, depending on the type of business that you own, for example, with our car wash uh, and the software that we developed related to the car wash, we had a booth at the International Car Wash Association last year. And so a lot of businesses have those opportunities to show up at a trade show or an event to promote our business, to generate leads, uh, whatever it might be. And so I thought this would be a great topic to have Chris share with us his experiences and also, again, his entrepreneurial journey. If you want to receive more information about the Howard business, including the show notes page for this episode, you can just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and I'll reply with the link to the show notes page. So Chris Kappas is an accomplished business leader. He has, uh, he is an over 30-year veteran of the trade show industry, and he's held president and C-level leadership positions with several of, of the big leading exhibition agencies. He's a founder of four different startups, and we'll chat about that a little bit. Uh, in the trade show design build service industries. There's a lot more to it than just trade shows, a lot that goes into it for any of those that have have either worked a booth before or had to uh, set up at a booth for your business. Uh, Chris is a frequent speaker at industry conferences and the author of two two books on the uh, on the trade, on this trade. One is The Noise Behind Business, How to Make Trade Shows Work. And his other book is how to master the art of selling at trade shows. And I've got several questions for him related to that specifically. Uh, And that last one, how to master the art of selling at trade shows, 
was co-written with sales legend Tom Hopkins. He's currently the founder and chief operating officer of Exhibits Hub. Exhibits Hub is a technology company transforming the exhibiting experience. He really has revolutionized it, and he'll explain that. They use a platform where users can shop online and reserve certified custom exhibits, an exhibit that already exists that somebody else has spent the upfront capital to create, and, and those owners aren't using them. So it's a sharing of those types of exhibits, kind of like the Airbnb model, if you will. And they service uh, across the United States in different cities. And once booked, those exhibits are then rebranded for you and delivered, as he says, show ready by a network of top exhibit firms that they have relationships with. So it really revolutionizes the whole way we have to show up and get ready for an event or a show. Chris lives in the Chicago area. So once again, Chris Kappas, welcome to the show. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> Is that you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's me. A lot of experience, a lot of years doing this. So I'm curious, you always like to start at the beginning. You studied journalism, PR, marketing, How did, and you went into sales. Is that what you originally did out of, out of school? Did you go into sales initially? No, I, I, I uh, frankly, my degree in journalism was a specialty in public relations. So uh-huh. I, I interned uh, at Burson Marstell, our big agency in Chicago. And when I uh, moved up to Chicago, I went door to door selling myself. And I, that's, I guess, the first time I realized that, you know, hey, selling's not so bad. Maybe that's what I should do. But anyway, I fell into the world of, of uh, public relations and it didn't take too long that I realized that, uh, you know, what they teach you in journalism school. I was okay at, but I wasn't great. I wasn't uh, a great fast speed writer, you know, and hmm. I ended up, uh, uh, I, I had the glamorous job of going out into chicken coops and writing about a product called uh, styrofoam brain insulation. So that quickly uh, after, you know, staying in a chicken coop for a while or on top of uh, a building in 100, 110 degree heat in, uh, in Phoenix um, where they have insul- insulation in the roof, I decided, you know, I, I think I'm going to try something else. <laughs> so, Anyway, I fell into the, the exhibition field, and I'm, I'm sure like many of your listeners, you know, all of a sudden you, you, you pinch yourself and say, man, 30 years later, wow, what a ride, you know? Yeah. What, what, do, what do you think are some of the things you've enjoyed about that specific niche, the, the exhibition industry? What, what is it about it that has appealed to you? Yeah, you, you know, it's multidimensional. I mean, you know, it's really, a, it, it, it's a composite. When you think about marketing, it's a composite of face to face where you're making, you're making connections with people one-on-one. It, it incorporates a lot of design it has to integrate uh, the marketing mix. You know, we're talking, you know, the print, the print business, the digital business. So it, it really becomes the three dimensional manifestation of all the elements of the marketing mix and let alone the, the, the variety of companies out there. I mean, there's 10,000 shows in North America. Um, think about that. It's an 80, $85 billion industry. There's a, there's a, there's a trade show for every industry. You talk about car washes. I mean, it, you know, there's pet shows, you have medical shows, you have, you know, so the variety, I think, and, and the ability to kind of learn a lot about a lot of different things was really what has kept it fresh for me. And it, it's, it's helped me grow. You know, yeah. it's, it's been a, a great, a great uh, education for me. I think there's also that excitement of uh, kind of like uh, business show business aspect of it where you set up for this event, the show, it happens and you break it down, you move on to the next one. Of course, you were probably juggling multiple at once, but yep. there's a little bit of excitement of that yep. of putting on a show, right? 
Exactly. I, I like to think of the church of business as a series of stage sets, mm-hmm. you know, and that you, you then have to put your actors in. And we'll touch on that a little bit. You know, there's, there's this idea that the exhibit is separate from the staff and you put the staff in the exhibit. Well, they should be really thought of working in concert, you know, no different than an actor on a stage. They have to have props that aid the dialogue. So you're absolutely right. I look, I like to think of the, of this world as one where we design the set before we, before we write the play. I see. And too oftentimes most people begin to, you know, write, they, they, they create the set and then say, okay, put people in it and figure it out. Right. Well, totally the wrong way to go from a, from a optimization perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Great perspective. All right. So, so when did you start your first business? Well, you know, I've, 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 I'm an entrepreneur within a company and I'm an entrepreneur outside a company. So I, 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 I launched really four different businesses within companies, right? One was, uh, and, and these were in the exhibition field. Three of them were, um, satellite offices for, uh, for major exhibit firms. So we opened up an office in Chicago, San San Jose to, to uh, pursue the high tech business in Boston. Then I evolved into an in-store banking business. You know, when you walk in a supermarket and you see banks, right? Well, there was a whole business there that we created around the manufacturing of, I'll refer to them as banking kits. Right. Because before then it had all been stick build where there's a lot of expense and and bringing a contractor in and building everything. Well, in this case, these were all manufactured in a plant, brought in to a facility and set up. And, and, and you know, banks and supermarkets don't like to be down. They don't like downtime. So the ability to have something, somebody come in and install, which, which essentially is an exhibit, right? But it's right. a permanent exhibit in a bank, in a supermarket, was, was pretty novel. And then I launched a labor company uh, for an exhibit firm and um, just to kind of provide that turnkey service. So those were, if you will, the, the, uh, the entrepreneurial insights within a company. And then now obviously I'm on my own and launching a, and have launched a uh, technology company associated with trade shows. And that that's exhibits hub. Yeah, correct. That's correct. So what led to that? What led to that finally saying, you know, I want to completely go on my own. You may have had investors and partners, but that's, that's quite a change to now go it on your own and not have the resources of a larger organization at your disposal, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And well, I, I guess, you know, you hit a place after you've been in, doing this a long time that you want a new challenge, something very different. And, and I've always been fascinated, if you look at um, sort of what's been evolving in the sharing marketplace, particularly in the, in the business to consumer side. I mean, who would have thought 10 years ago uh, you know, that an Airbnb uh, that started out as an airbed company yeah, because the, the two guys that started it couldn't afford their rent and they decided, <laughs> geez, there's a trade show in San Francisco. We ought to just rent our apartment out and just call it Air, Airbed B&B. And that was the initial name. But who would have thought that today, you know, they don't even handle a bar of soap, but they are the largest hotel chain in the world. Um, more than, more than Marriott on a nightly basis. So my point being that you look at that and you look at, at, you know, who would have thought you'd pick up your phone and order a car and jump in a car with a stranger and say, Hey, take me down to, uh, you know, Best Buy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it just just doesn't happen. And you know, who would have thought that you'd be going to Las Vegas and you need a car and rather than standing in line at Hertz or Avis, nothing against those guys, of course, but (laughs) <laughs> you know, that you could have a car delivered right at the casino, brought up to you, and the guy gives you the keys and says, hey, you know, have fun, right? Uh, so car, sh- car sharing. So, so my point being that, you know, it, it, it's rather 
it, it came, it, it sort of coalesced in my mind that there, there's an opportunity here in the exhibition field where there's just so much inventory, exhibit, exhibit inventory that's it's idle. And wouldn't it be cool if everybody in the supply chain, including the owner of the exhibit, could make, make money by, by making it available and, and therein lies a little bit of the vision. So, so you know, this idea spawned from, from really uh, inspiration from, from the sharing companies. Was it an idea that you thought about uh, taking up the flagpole in the organization you were in? Or was it, was it like, you know what, this is one I want to go build myself? I'm curious as to how you made that decision. Yeah, good question. I mean, I, I think, you know, I have an investor and my investor owns a major exhibit firm. So, um, you know, it was something that I had the luxury of, of the, right, the right relationship, the right connection, who believed in the vision yeah. um, and, uh, and funded it, you know, and is funding it. So that, that, that's a luxury I know that a lot of entrepreneurs don't, don't often have. Doesn't mean I don't feel the pressure every day <laughs> of, of trying to, to, to build a two-sided marketplace, you know, because I have to worry about supply and demand, um, whereas a lot of businesses, you worry about one-facing. One you know, in this case, I have to have the right supply to attract the right demand. So, uh, so yeah, it, that, that's how it evolved. Is there anybody else doing it this way, applying no. this disruptive approach to this industry? No, and, that, and that, that really, you know, five years ago, five years ago, I wouldn't have, have endeavored this. It really, it took, it took a deflection point like an Airbnb and consumer adoption of sharing the sharing model for me to say, hey, you know, if people are willing to open their home up to a stranger, is it such a stretch that they'd be willing to loan their exhibit out? Right, right. Now the idea is not far-fetched for very personal types of things. So an exhibit, you, you would think people will get it. They, they would understand the idea behind it, but it's still to be proven, right? So, I mean, in that regard, Correct. it's a high-risk venture. Correct. You're, 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 you're absolutely right. And while it may, it may be like a slap on the head, like, geez, I wish I had thought of that. It, it's very hard because it's, you know, a business-to-consumer versus business-to-business. Now you have an enterprise that you, that's very concerned about, you know, uh, uh, any damage that occurs, uh, security, things that, you know, as consumers we worry about, but we're not le- legally tied to, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, the complexity, and that's why, you know, I'm, I'm pretty early in, in the gestation of the idea in the business, the business market. And that's why, you know, you don't see a whole lot of sharing yet occurring in the business to business side. Um, though I have to say there's one company, I mean, Caterpillar recently bought a company called Yard Club um, that had farm, um, uh, construction implement equipment that could be quote unquote borrowed uh, in other parts of the world where you can't afford to bring in a bulldozer. Right. Interesting. So my point being that, you know, the business side are now looking at this as, you know, a viable, but certainly a viable model. Yeah, no, no doubt. I got to think though, a lot of people that maybe you ran the idea back by uh, said, you're crazy. This is not going to work. Cause that's always the pushback when you're disrupting a, a particular industry. Right. It might work for, for, for bedrooms, but it's not going to work for this. Did you get that kind of pushback from others? About every day. Yeah. So what is <laughs> no, it about you yeah. that took that on as a challenge and said, I'm going to do this anyway? Because I think that's, that's what at the heart of what we have to be sometimes as entrepreneurs is we, we have to put that noise aside and move forward anyway. Yeah, thank you. You, you know, I think it, it was – and, and I want this to sound right, uh, you know, I've been doing this a long time. So I, you know, I, I have a lot of connections in the business. So 
if people are going to believe in a concept, they have to believe in a, in, in a, in a vision, right? And I think that my early adopters, the members that are a part of it, of which I have eight, uh, eight exhibit firms, the CEOs of, of those firms, they're independent owner operators are competitive with one another. Mm-hmm. And they realize that, look, the industry, um, the margins are flat, have been for a decade. Corporate budgets are flat, have been for a decade. Floor space has gone up 300% over the last decade. Uh, where am I going to grow my top line? The top line hasn't crossed over a billion dollars for that, for all the, the primary leading exhibit firms in a decade, right? So mm-hmm. the point being that, that, that uh, static um, is never a good thing in an industry. And when you look at, at just the disruption overall with industries, whether you're, you're a medallion taxi driver and look what happened to, to, to that group, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, so no different, you know, if you've got, uh, 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 if, if you're a manufacturer of custom exhibits and you realize that your warehouse is full of them that, that aren't necessarily on the road, wouldn't it make sense to make them available? And is there not an opportunity there to, to gain incremental revenue and also share some of that revenue with the owner of the exhibit? Because that's, that's part of the beauty of the model is that the owner can be the exhibit firm that has quote unquote hybrid rental, or it could be corporation that has an asset who's used to paying storage and maintenance and ownership now can subsidize what they historically have had have had to do mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden they can make an earn revenue by sharing yeah yeah i mean it just makes so much sense you've got this idle asset and and it's you know you could argue a deteriorating asset to some extent that you're getting no value out of in fact you're spending money storing it right so Correct. it, it Correct. makes a lot of sense. All right. And we'll get into more of the details of it. As we've been talking yeah. here about with these questions, what, what would you say are a couple of your personal characteristics that have led to your success in business? And then uh, obviously as an entrepreneur as well. Well, I think you touched on this a little bit. You just, I, I guess, you know, I've always just believed that, you know, I believe in myself, right? I, I, I just, for whatever reason, there is an implied faith that, you know, what I set my mind out to do could be accomplished. Right. And, and I was, you know, I had really good mentors early in my career. So that, that I, I, you know, I had to be a good listener and, and one that would, would take that information and do something with it. But I had a lot of really good teachers coming in. So I think belief in yourself and, you know, this idea that, that, you know, you never see failures, failure, but an opportunity to change your course and your direction. Right. So, you know, Tom Hopkins, I used to carry around his, his book, How to Master the Art of Selling, with me every sales call I went on. And that was just, you know, I mean, all, I, you know, every day I reflect on that and what a good sound basis that was for me, let alone, you know, listen, listening to whether it was Zig Ziglar or, or Positive Mental Attitude um, works. You know, there's just so much noise in the world that's not positive. I, I just, I, I try to tune it out because it, because it just pulls me down and the world down, you know? Yeah. So I, I think it's just trying to remain focused, recognizing that, you know, I have to have faith that there is a plan that I'm not steering, God's steering, and that I, I just have to understand that tomorrow's another day, God willing, right? And then I need to make the most of it because not, you know, this is difficult. I mean, starting as everyone knows on this, on this podcast, it's a friggin' nightmare on some days and some days, you know, it's okay, but it's rarely are we out there, you know, ringing bells. Yeah. I mean, the bells we want to ring more often. And that's part of the, you know, what we're trying to get to. 
Well, and that's why it has to be in alignment with, is it taking you where you want to go? Is it fulfilling something else? Because otherwise it's, it's too hard, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, my wife says to me, why do you do this? Because it, it, you know, there are those, those dark moments and it's part, it's partly because I believe I'm meant to do this. Yeah. Just an inner, inner feeling. I, I don't know how else to explain it. I'm sure others out there have the same kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. And, and you're, you know, and you were ready for it at that point in times too. I, yeah. You know, you're right. I, I, I guess I was, I was ready. I was listening. I, you know, it was prayerful. I, I, I you know, I, I just felt it was the right thing to do. And, and then one key word was legacy. I, you know, I wanted to build something and also uh, remain relevant. And I think the older you get, the, the word relevancy comes into play a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously this challenge of doing something that hasn't been done before that, that has to play into it as well. Right. No, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. All right. So let, let's start talking about trade shows and, and try to, uh, from your experiences and mine, put it in the perspective of a small business owner like myself. So um, we'll just start with a very high level question. This might be repetitive for a lot of us listening, but for, for trade shows, why are they still effective? Do you think for the right business where that's one of the ways that you generate leads or exposing new products, why are trade shows or events still an effective method of exposure, promotion, generating leads for a lot of small business owners in your experience, why is that still effective? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's a great question in, in particular when you look at what's going on in retail and what, you know, in terms of all the, all the closures and, and, you know, today Barney's announced they went chapter 11. I mean, you look at, you know, why is it that that face-to-face isn't working and trade shows are, you know, mm-hmm. and why would people continue to exhibit? And, and it really comes down to this. When, when you're at a trade show, um, you know, obviously association produces it and it's built around content and education. So people that are coming to trade shows, uh, 92% of them are coming to see what's new. Now you mm-hmm. can watch what's new on, you know, you go to the computer, you can, you can go to any industry and, 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 and do research, but there's one thing missing. And that, that is, you don't have an expert to talk to about that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so the relevancy is around education. It's around face to face it's around the ability to ask to come prepared to a show and be able to shop in one place all the all the different vendors that may have a, a, a product or a solution that will take care of my problem right so so you have you have that then you have the issue of or the opportunity of look in, in if you're out in the field making sales calls you're going to do two maybe three a day right in a trade show you're going to get that many people coming to you every hour so if you just do the math and it's got to be a math decision it's got to be quantitative, quantitatively figured out and qualitatively. The quantitative side, the math has to work. So you have to have the right people making the right connections and, and be able to, to qualify the universe of people coming to them. And, you know, where that falls down often is, is just in, in the preparation of the sales force. But, so, but my point being that where else can you have that opportunity where you have that many people coming to you um, looking for answers, Right. So the value proposition of shows remains that, you know, for, for the attendee. If it didn't matter to the attendee, then we'd be seeing attendance be, uh, falling off, right? Right. Right. Yeah, I agree with all of that. You know, the things that I always looked at and still look at is, it, and, and not every event gives you this, but often you've got the right decision makers attending these events, and that's important. 
Um, because there you have captive, or to some extent, they're going to walk by your booth, hopefully at a minimum. And then we'll talk about, you know, getting them to interact with you. But the decision makers are often there. And that's what we're so desperately trying to get through to through to through to a lot of times. The other thing that you yeah, kind of exactly. touched on the education part of it is that the networking opportunity is huge as well, right? Not just for the attendees, but I've found that as an exhibitor, uh, the networking opportunities, the potential for partnerships, uh, I, you'll get ideas yourself. Uh, obviously, you're going to see what your competition is doing. So all of those are side benefits as well, potentially. Yep, exactly. Now, just to carry forward, I mean, you're, you're kind of now talking about the qualitative benefits, but, you know, great to introduce new products. You can recruit personnel. You can monitor and research competitors. You got media opportunity. You know, you can look at businesses that might be available to buy if you're in, in the business or mm. to partner with. Yep. You got team, team camaraderie. You've got the ability to build, build uh, sort of cohesive leadership. So you need, you know, so th there's a whole lot of other uh, very important, maybe not as important as, as moving the sales needle, but that all kind of come into play, you know? And the, re the reason that's important is because if you look at, let's look at a mature industry like the consumer, like consumer electronics show, everyone hears about the consumer electronics show, right? The reality is it's 150,000 people go to that show. They're not there to buy. No, no. I mean, there, there are people like you and I that are curious about the next gadget, exactly. a lot of them, if not exactly. most of them. Exactly. And when you look at where, distribution is in the consumer electronics industry, it's through 10 to 15 different companies. So you would never produce a trade show only to serve that audience. So there's all these other reasons to exhibit, right? And to be there. And so if you look at, if you ask Intel, Microsoft, uh, Google, who, who's now a big player in consumer electronics, why they're there, it's for media exposure. Yeah, yeah. They they're, they're building the brand. They're getting themselves out there as pioneers or, you know, Precisely. having the hot new technology, right? And they're, 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 they're creating an opportunity for their CEO to do a keynote. Right. And that's, you talk about dollars in the bank and the ability to move the needle in terms of brand. That, that's certainly key. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you touched on it also as, as well when I first asked the question about, and then you mentioned it at the outset, the, these shows are getting more and more expensive. And so for a small business owner, you know, I have a client that I'm working with and she's looking at maybe just doing one big show in Vegas next year because it's such a huge investment. Uh, and we'll talk about then she struggles with how to follow up on all those leads. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But I think your point is right on is that I have to then measure very carefully, at least the first time so that I can make a decision for the next show, whether this is worth, are we getting the results that we wanted from that investment? That's correct. Yeah, the, the math has to work. And so, you know, what I would always, you know, counsel is, you know, we got to look at, okay, you have eight hours of a show. If you have one person staffing the exhibit, I'm just using this as an example, if they make three positive connections, qualified connections, qualified being the underlying word, in an hour, that's 24 connections a day times two or three days. So you start to do the math and you start to look at, okay, that means that's 24 uh, qualified leads a day times three days and times the staff you have there. And then you look at the cost. And so my point being that, that you start to look at it purely from the ability to, to, to think of them as, as, as the exhibit as a machine for selling. Right. That's all it is, is really a machine to process that, that if you think of it that way, as opposed to, you know, taking that money and you put someone in the field, you know, you, you pay MX in the field. How many sales calls are, are they going to do 24 sales calls in a month? 
and maybe that's, that's a lot, right? And here you can process that in three days. So the economics though, in my mind, are what, what people often don't get granular enough thinking about and then pressing it down into the cost per, per, per contact. Yeah. So, you know, so not to get too granular, but, but I think that's really key is the math has got to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then Chris, one of the things I've struggled with in, in having had a booth and in helping others and my clients is where, where often there's a disconnect is in what my pitch is and making sure at the, at the booth that is and making sure it's in alignment with where that lead is or potential client is in the funnel, if you will. In other words, often where I see the disconnect is I'm offering or pitching something that a cold lead is not ready for yet. They've just met me. Yeah. And so talk to me about that. Where have you seen some people do it well? And I'm talking about small businesses now and, and maybe we can chat about some examples of where it's not gone so well. Yeah. It, you know, I think there's a big mistake uh, in, in, in the, the thought process that trade shows are for selling. Trade, right. shows, are for, trade shows are for listening, mm-hmm. for qualifying. Um, because at the end of the day, what good is it to have spend all your time pitching when you don't even know what the client, when you don't even understand the client's needs, wants, and expectations. And at the end of the day, the sales don't occur on the show floor. Rarely do they, you know, uh, where they occur is in the field. And that, that as long as the rep has the time and is prepared with a thorough briefing from the trade show or trade shows, when they go in, they understand the needs, wants, and expectations so they can diagnose the issue or the, the, the sales challenge in front of the customer, you know, so they're prepared in advance. So it's a little bit like, you know, and I see it all the time. People, they take them out of the field, they put them in an exhibit. All of a sudden it's like, now what do I do? Well, I'm used to selling in the field because I have time. Right. Guess what? People are not there. They're not going to spend more than four to five minutes with you. So if you spend all your time selling, what have you learned? So quick little story, you know, uh, being on the manufacturing side of exhibits, We'd open packing cases and look and count sales lead counters, and we'd find all the friggin' leads in the counters yet. <laughs> True story. And, and you know, it, it just comes down to the, 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 the misalignment on the value of trade shows. It, it, it is the personal connection, of course, but it's the ability to qualify and ask those probing questions um, that, that you then have to really record and be able to provide that person the field with, with a document or with a dossier that they otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. The money is in the follow-up, right? It's that's, yep. that's where you're going to close. Now we're, we're often then I have a disconnect is that often we think, well, well, we need to have a demo either of my software or my product or whatever. And it seems like people want that meaning people coming through the trade show. So how do you, how do you strike a balance between that and listening and asking questions and qualifying? Where, when, when have you seen that? be a good balance yeah no i think i think i think that's a a really good question i i i I would i would suggest that when you when you go into it uh you know there's a four-step process that i like to talk about but you know once you're into that 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 past the engagement mode where you're where you've gone through an icebreaker and you now understand i would ask the question so i'm respectful of your time uh, mrs jones um how much time how much time do you have today i would ask them the question let them guide you a little bit if she, and if she says, you know, I really don't have time today, you know, uh, so make it quick or whatever, whatever they say, that gives you guidance to know how, how granular you're going to get. But by and large, you know, most trade shows 
you're not going to have time to get into major demos. And that's why there's, they're, they're generally from a, from a strategy perspective is an area just for demo. Right. If you, to, if you go to an auto show, they have a technical specialist who's, who's presenting the car. If you go to a machine tool show, you have, you have an engineer who's running a, a plastics injection molding piece of equipment, right? So my point being that, that your salespeople need to be the floaters that help qualify that and determine just, you know, how much time do I, am, are we and am I going to spend with this, uh, with this, uh, this contact? Yeah, and it, I'm thinking about that. It's such a great insight because I'm thinking about what if I'm there by myself or me and my wife at a really smaller show. And what I've observed is that when you don't qualify that way, Chris, you then end up chewing up so much time with everybody. And what I've seen and been told before is that person who has been waiting, who's who's ready to take that next step, they don't get any of your time because you're trying to give everybody the same amount of time. Does that make sense about how that can go wrong? Yeah, yeah. And the, the other thing I... I, I we just remind everybody that, that, you know, everyone at the end of the day is tired, right? Everyone's spent and that includes yeah. the, the attendees, but what often they'll, they'll do is they have scouts, they'll scouts will go around and they'll meet and then and they'll, they'll say, Hey, have you been over, over to XYZ exhibit? Yeah. I've had a number of situations, personal situations where the, the key buyers came in at the last hour of the show. Why? Because a, they've had time to look and now they're, now they have time because the, everyone's, everyone is not pouncing on them. So they're taking their time. Now they're starting to really evaluate and they're starting to kick the tires a little bit. That's when you really need to be at your best. Interesting. Is it the, is it the last few hours of the show? Right. Um, so, you know, and that's to, a good tip because often we're, we're tired too. And we're like, yep. you know, let's break down early or let's, you know, let me go get the free margarita and I might be missing out on the best opportunities at that time. Exactly. And think about it as a buyer. I mean, you got a buyer badge on, guess what? You're, you're like, you're like meet up, meet on a, on a skewer. Oh, sure. I mean, oh, sure. <laughs> you know, everyone's after you. So, you, so, so, you know, th this allows you to, and I've seen people that will take the badge off last day, this, you know, last hour and they'll walk through and like, like they're, they could be anybody. And that's the time where you, where, you know, you make the engagement. What, what brings you to the show today? You know, very open to the question, you know, find out, that usually gives you the top of mind what they're doing, what they're looking for. Yeah, love that. That's right, a question. I, that's my default question. So, that is, what, what are you looking for today? Yeah, what, what brings you to the what, show today? What brings you to the show today? Yeah, mm -hmm. love that. All right, let's talk a bit more about the booth because obviously that's, that's one of your areas of specialty, especially now with what you offer with Exhibits Hub. You touched on some of this at the outset about designing the booth first but tell me a little bit more about that and, and where you see people make mistakes and how important the booth design is, um, all of those kind of things. Let's touch on that. First of all, the, the whole uh, design build process is broken. Um, and that's a big thing to say. But when you look at the way exhibits are procured by corporations, uh, they have an exhibit manager whose job is to go out and shop, right? So they so they'll invite three or four or five companies in to bid on a job. And so those four or five companies now invest time, time and effort, thousands of dollars on a spec basis to try to win that business. Right. But you know, oftentimes you don't get the chance to meet all the decision makers. I mean, who ultimately it's not the trade show manager, nothing, you know, she, that person is, is managing the process, right. But they're not the ultimate decision maker. It's usually a collaboration of, of a buying committee. Right. Rarely do you get to, to see the buying committee. And guess what? The buying committee is, is not often aligned with what they want. So too often times it becomes a beauty contest. 
And the reason that matters is because anything compromised is not the right solution. So if you think in terms of what is the activity that you want that exhibit to occur in that space, and then you design around it, and you think about it in terms of, okay, I have actors. My actors are my salespeople. I put salespeople in the space. What tools do they need? Ah, you know what? I think they need X. They need Y. Well, we need branding around that. Okay, well, where should the branding be? And if we're going to do a live presentation, do we want it at the front of the exhibit where everybody crowds and then they disperse into the aisle and we never get a chance to talk to anybody? Or should it be a one-on-one -on -one, one presentation? So my point being that oftentimes the exhibit, while and it's very expensive to do, to create, um, and time-consuming, you're talking about a four to five-month process, typically beside between the going out for an RFP, uh, interviewing candidates, uh, presentations, negotiation of the contract, you know, it's a long process. And you, and what good is that if you end up with something that's less than? So when I say it's broken, it, 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 what, what, what I'm saying is that, look, there's a smarter way to go at this, right? And that, that, that sort of tied into the evolution of Exhibits Hub in terms of providing already orchestrated exhibits that are, are sets ready to go that you can, you can put your actors in, right? So you don't have to go through all the minutia and all the, all the money and all the, and all the resource allocation, et cetera, et cetera, come up with something that can work for you. On average, uh, what are you seeing in the way of savings uh, when, when I'm going this route of, of reusing someone else's exhibit as opposed to building my own from scratch? Yeah, and to, and to be clear, I mean, exhibits today, if you were to go out and, and design and build an exhibit, you're talking between $150 to $200 a square foot. It's just like a home, okay? So if you think in terms of, of and so all that, all that is sunk cost, and that's typically amortized. They spread that cost out over a number of years, right? So if the exhibit's already built, now all of a sudden, if you can make that available, guess what? There's enough gross margin in there for everybody in the supply chain to rebrand it and get it ready for you as an exhibitor. But, and it, there's also sufficient savings in there that it becomes more affordable. So you're going to find that you're going to save 10, 20% depends on the, on, on the time frame because there's hot peaks and valleys in the exhibition field. Mm -hmm. But the, the other thing that the service provides is the exhibits are local. You're not transshipping across the country. I see. So if you're doing a show in Chicago, you go to the Chicago a portal, if you will, and you're able to look at portal at the exhibits that are curated for you in Chicago. So, you know, not only is it cheaper, you don't have to transship, you avoid damage. And guess what? It's better for the environment. Because I'm telling you, you know, there, there is going to be a time where a carbon tax is going to be a reality. So if you think it's expensive to ship exhibits between or anything between Chicago and Los Angeles now, wait until there's a carbon tax. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, in your experience, not just with Exhibits Hub, but obviously in your, throughout your career, what's the one or two things that I can learn about how the bigger companies do it that I can apply to my 10 by 10, 20 by 20 booth at a trade show? What, what do you see that, wow, if they would have just apply these one or two techniques that bigger companies do, they'd be so much more successful. Yeah, you, you're going to find this answer a little contradictory because I think you got to look at the smaller guys because the bigger guys, just because they're big doesn't mean they're better at it. Mm. And I'll give you this, this, this one uh, quick little story. There was a company called Foley Food Mill, and I don't know if you're familiar with them. They make little uh, little graters. So if you put a carrot in there and you turn it, it, it does like curly kills. Okay. You know, 
So they would go to the housework show. And so you had, you know, next to them, they, there was a beautiful, beautiful exhibit, right? It was another housework company. And here you have um, the salesperson from Full of Food Mill walking in with a brief, briefcase. And he sets it up, sets it on a card table, turns his back to the audience, which you're never supposed to do. And what does he, what does he proceed to do? Produce curlicues out of carrots. <laughs> the point... The point being that it's the activity, it's the, it's, it's the, it's not the exhibit that sold anything. It's purely an environment to support selling. So here we have it, this idea of you have a non-exhibit, you have a card table and an, and a curly cue and, you know, a, a fully food mill being, being demonstrated. And next door you have a beautiful exhibit with, with a bunch of salespeople standing up with their arms crossed, uh, crossing their, their chest. And you look at that and go, Who's going to get the most business? Mm-hmm. So I, I use that only as an analogy because, you know, you can't look at the big guys and say they do it better. They have the money to do it better. Some do it well, some don't. You know, if you, again, I, 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 I spend a lot of time talking about the bigger exhibitors and still find uh, leads in a, in a, in a packing case. Right. And you know, the, 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 sm- the nice thing about being a smaller, medium-sized business is your hands-on. Those leads that you get count. Everyone counts. Yeah. So you, you put the right system in place. You know, you, you, you train your sales force to really be, be energetic and engage people. You have a customized lead card. You know, th- you're going to be successful. And that's the power of, of trade shows is when you have someone that's passionate about the potential of shows, you know. Versus someone that says, oh, I got another trade show to do next week. <laughs> right, right. And nobody there, nobody really there is really that vested in the success or lack Correct. thereof they, of that show, right? Yeah. I, I'm looking yeah. how quickly can I do my shift and then go play or whatever it might be. Yeah, I was just at, at uh, had a meeting with a, with a gentleman that does sales training for exhibit staff personnel. And he's saying, Chris, you know, I, I'm training uh, you know, called booth captains around the U.S., and they're, they're, you know, many of them, they love going to Vegas because it's a nice place to gamble. They love going to Orlando because they can see Mickey. Sure. And they love, now he's a little jaundiced and I get this. But my <laughs> point is that, that, you know, when you're, when you're responsible, doesn't mean that you're accountable. The bit, difference being you may be responsible for, for an event, but the accountability is the person that gets that lead and making something happen with it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and person is, more of that. the person is making a living yeah. on it, right? And when you're a small business owner, that's you. That's exactly right. The accountability is noise is noise there, and it, it, it's difficult because the bigger you get, the more that 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 transcends down. You know, sure. that cascades down. Sure. So, all right. So I love that, and you've mentioned it a couple of times. It's about the activity that's happening at the booth more than anything else, and I think that also, where that hits home for me as a small business owner, if I'm there, it's because I'm you know I'm I'm able to sell whatever I'm selling as a small business owner. It's almost like I think of it when I go as a visitor to a trade show, the big glitzy booths, I know I'm, I'm going to get sold to versus maybe there, there's Frank, he's the owner. I'm going to get some real truth and be able to talk to the person who's going to make this work for me. You know, so there's a lot of that, I think, also. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, the follow-up, as we touched about, that's where the money is and following up on these leads and nowadays, as small business owners, we've got technology we can apply to help us do that. Right? We can put together uh, an email drip campaign with those leads. 
we, we can follow up with them, obviously. But that's where you see it fall apart is what you keep telling me is that then we don't do anything with these leads. Yeah, yeah. And, and or, you know, it's, it's a little bit like they're, if, if the staff isn't prepared with answering, you know, knowing what the correct information is that we need ultimately from that, from that engagement, then, 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 you know, it's that idea of garbage in, garbage out. So, you know, so there's a lot of complaints in, from the field that that lead was terrible. I don't know yeah. what XYZ was thinking about. You know, right. You give me this crap and it's another Churchill lead. So, you know, it, it, the system really breaks down at the front, at the front of the line. Just think about it. You know, when I tell you one thing, you tell someone the same thing, you know, it gets watered down. So there needs to be continuity and a, and a customized approach to how in the, in the content and information that you, you aggregate and then and how it, and how it tran, tran, transitions. Think about it. You're essentially writing a check with that lead. That, that is a check that has to be signed by someone, right? So if you don't have all the right information on that, guess what? It's never going to be signed. Yeah. So, so there have to, I think people, I think we all have to think differently about th those engagements and how important they are and what do you need to get out of them? And then it's the idea of, Hey, I just can't throw it in the field and expect the field folks to, to do their job. I, I probably should, should have an interim step. And you know what that interim step is? It's doing a pre-qualification of the qualification. Right. You know, someone picking up the phone or I, I've been using Loom. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with Loom. Yes, I am. Yeah. And, and you know, Loom is a terrific tool. Um, it's great for sending out little messages, you know, with, with so my point being that th the more we can go to the sales force and say, look, this is the lead. Here's the information. We pre-qualified pre it. Here's where that in the buying process. Go get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks for clarifying that. All right. One tactical question before we start to wrap it up here on this topic, uh, swag giveaways, what, you know, we, we often also get carried away with that and end up spending a bunch of money. Is it, what's your thoughts on that with, based on your experience in the industry? Is it, is it valuable? Does it help to get somebody to the booth or is it the wrong person? Just what are your thoughts on that? I, 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 less than 1% goes into sales training for booth personnel, about 3% goes into swag. <laughs> and, and swag ends up, I mean, look, unless it's product related, right. It, forget it. You know, it's just not worth, I mean, look, everybody, I, I think it's, it's, it, it, essentially it is an excuse to not ask and engage. Now I, I'm all about icebreakers, which means when someone's coming down the, down the aisle, I need something engaging to get them to stop and lift their head up from their phone. <laughs> yes. And, and engage them in, in my story, right? So a swag, if I give you a hat, that doesn't do anything other than say thanks if they put on their head or they don't, right? Yeah. But if I have something that's product related, a gear, uh, something that's cool, different, if I put it in your head and say, hey, have you ever considered, you know, XYZ, right? I'm, I'm, I'm spitballing here for a moment. But yep. the point being the point that we need to break, we need to have an icebreaker to engage. That's not swag. Put your money into an icebreaker. Agreed. Yeah. I was just thinking of, as you were saying that, that makes perfect sense. And I can see where you can use it. If you can use it the right way and it's the right item that gets the conversation started, then great. Yep. Uh, but otherwise we can end up, especially a small business owner, spending a bunch of money on stuff that then ends up being a toy for the dog or the kids and doesn't do you any good. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've been guilty of, you know, I'm a pin collector, so I, I'm uh -huh. picking up swag, but you know, but, but my point is I, I don't stop. I don't remember. No. That. No, no. All right. Great. Um, 
So let's, we've touched on it, obviously, and you've been explaining it as we go, but summarize for us then the Exhibits Hub business model. And then I think you've got some special offers right now. Uh, so tell us all about that. Yeah, yeah, it's just real quick. I, th I think, you know, we're, we're kind of referred to as the Airbnb of exhibits. So, um, you know, if, if you own an exhibit on Exhibits Hub, you can share it and you can earn income uh, working with your exhibit firm. If you're in need of an exhibit, you can borrow it and save money. Uh, and if you're in the supply chain, you know, you're able to turn those idle exhibits that are otherwise sitting idle into uh, new revenue and new clients. And the thing to keep in mind is 50% of most businesses, small and medium sizes, don't exhibit due to expense. So part of the model here is to make exhibiting more affordable and make it easier to exhibit because it's, it's complicated. I mean, we, we compl we've complicated an industry because there's a lot of moving parts. So I'm trying to demystify it, make it simple. And for those that, that are inclined, you know, we have a $1,000 um, uh, user, first user um, uh, savings that, uh, you know, once you request an exhibit, I uh, put a code down um, and you get $1,000 off coupled with the fact that every exhibit, I think, I don't know about every, but about 80% of the exhibits on our site are currently, uh, we have a special going for the month of August through August 31st. And this right now, it's typically a slow, slow period in the trade show industry, summertime. So most people are starting to ramp up for fall if they're not already in that planning mode. So this is a little bit of an incentive to, to entice some of the listeners that may have an interest. Yeah, fantastic. What What is the typical range size-wise of the exhibits that you, you currently have in the, in the system now? Yeah, yeah, good question. I mean, you're able to go up and select small, medium, and large based upon footprint. Small would be from zero to 400 square feet. Medium would be 400 square feet. So, so in other words, that would be, you know, a, a 10 by 20, 20 by 20, you mm -hmm. know, right? yeah. and then 400 to 1600 square feet would be more of a, an island. And then, and then we have the aspirational ones, which are, are larger, you know, and they're mm -hmm. aspirational. I don't, I don't know how many people are going to, um, uh, to request one, but nonetheless, they're fun to look at. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, as you were, as you've been building this business, is the resistance, if, you know, whatever resistance there has been, has it been more from the exhibit owners and letting go of putting that exhibit out for somebody else to use? Has that been where most of the challenge has been? You know, no, um, partly because I haven't put my emphasis there yet. Okay, uh, okay. I, I had to first focus on creating enough uh, supply. And the supply right now is, is through exhibit firms that have idle exhibits, either they own or some of their clients. Do. Oh, I see. I see. So, okay. so we have about 60, 60 plus exhibits online currently. I mean, the aim is to, is to, you know, obviously scale that so that, you know, you don't, you don't go to Amazon and look at one pair of jeans, right? <laughs> so right. there needs to be a lot of variety up there and I'm working on that. So I have to work on the, on the, the supply. And then now it's really focusing on, okay, building demand. And that's obviously, you know, your listeners may have an interest or, or others that they may know. That's right. Exactly right. Um, all right. We, uh, books are always something I'm looking for. Obviously, we, we talked about and have touched on subjects from your two books. Again, uh, Chris's two books are The Noise Behind Business, How to Make Trade Shows Work. And he co-authored with Tom Hopkins, How to Master the Art of Selling at Trade Shows. Then you also mentioned uh, the mas mastering the art of selling. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend to us based on the conversation? 
Yeah, it, it, that uh, the, the book "How to Master the Art of Selling" was was kind of my, my my textbook, and that was that was Tom's one of one of his. Uh, he sold a million copies, I think, of that. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, the art of the start. I think we talked a little bit about. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more, uh, if you have an interest in the sharing economy, there's two books out. One's called "The Four. It's about uh, Airbnb and Lyft and Uber and, and Amazon, and the other is the Airbnb story. All, all really good reads. Yeah, great recommendations. And, and if we go back to you know, the mastering the art of selling, it, if, I, if I was getting it right, one of the things that we have to learn about what's different about selling at a booth is that you're not, you're not going to probably close anything there. It's about qualifying and listening. Is that right? Yeah, a- a- absolutely. Look, every... every the thing to remember is that people are coming there with a problem. They, they, they have something they're trying to solve, right? So what good is it if I'm spending all my time giving you information on something that doesn't solve your problem? <laughs> so, and that's what you find is that everyone's so prepared to do the pitch. Well, it's not about the pitch, you know? Yeah. So, so you got two ears and one mouth using that percentage. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the takeaway then I think, from your perspective, uh, from our conversation that we've had, is there anything else you would add that you want us to take away from this conversation? No, I, you know, I really just appreciate uh, the listeners, Henry. Thanks for your time today. And, and uh, yeah, if I'm able to help anybody, by all means, reach out to me. I'm available on my, on our website, exhibitshub.com. And uh, I'm here to serve. So whatever I can do. Yeah. I appreciate that. And where do you want us to go online to find out more? Uh, yeah, you can just go to the uh, website, exhibitshub.com, and there's, uh, you know, we're in the process of, of revamping uh, some of it, but, you know, it, it's it's active live, and there's a contact form there if you want to send me some personal information, so by all means. Yeah, and then it, it's exhibits with an S, exhibits hub, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, exhibitshub.com. Yep. Wonderful. All right. Fantastic, Chris. Thank you for sharing all of this. This is a great topic that I've, again, like I said at the outset, I've never had anybody on. Thanks for your patience with uh, getting started late. I had technical issues that you were uh, more than gracious enough to let me work through. So I appreciate that. And thanks for taking the time to be with me today. My pleasure. And once again, thanks to Henry and Chris for producing this episode on the How of Business. Thanks for letting us share it here on the How of Car Washing. And we really appreciate your comments and anything you can let us know. If you can go out to Apple or Stitcher and uh, give us a comment. It helps other people in the industry know that we're out there. Tell your friends and family about it, too, or your friends or your industry friends about the how of car washing. And we'll get the word out. And, uh, you know, this is a podcast designed to help everybody in the car wash industry. So thanks for listening. Leave a comment. You can go to thehowofcarwashing.com if you'd like to as well. And leave a comment there. If you've got some ideas for some additional episodes, we're always taking uh, requests, if you will. So thanks again. This is David Begin for The How of Car Washing. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.